Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. If you would survive the Christian life and thrive serving Jesus, you must read his word with his people. That includes this letter. Five years ago, the Atlantic posed a huge question. What was the most important letter in history? Trinity College Prof. Britt McGrath said the first letter, supposedly sent by Queen Atossa in 500 B.C., which made letters the norm of long-distance communication. Author Stephen Jarvis said the groans of the Britons, a letter that was sent in 450 A.D. by Britons asking for Romans to help in resisting invaders. Author Winifred Gallagher said the inaugural letter uh, sent with the world's first cheap adhesive prepaid stamp in Great Britain, May of 1840. Author James Jaynes said this, the golden record accompanying Voyager's spacecraft, which launched in 1977. Historian Michael Burlingame said the five public letters of Abraham Lincoln, which boosted northern morale and helped the Union win the Civil War. David Dabney, a CEO of UPS, who grew up in the Deep South, said, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. Actor Wayne Knight said it was a letter from a fifth grader in 1982 sent to then-Soviet President Yuri Andropov because she was worried over nuclear war with Russia. And Nicholas Sparks, the author of The Notebook, said this, It's difficult to imagine Christianity without the letters of Paul which continued to inform and influence pastoral traditions throughout the world nearly 2,000 years after they were written. Some letters are not meant to be shared. They are only for the recipients. Some private letters find their way to others. I have read C.S. Lewis's letters to children. I have read Stonewall Jackson's letters to his wife. But some letters must be shared publicly. The nature of the New Testament letters written to churches to be circulated were to be read publicly. The letter before us today is one of the most important letters in history, in the most important book in history. God determined to preserve it, to get it to the widest possible audience, such that 2,000 plus years later we are here today to read the Word of God and be built up by it. To hear the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, conscience-binding, perfect Word of God, the only perfect part of the worship service. It's greater than anything you can imagine in your mind. It was spoken by God's mouth. It was written by His chosen instruments. It was a letter that must be read to all. And so this morning I'll read all of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith 
and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, like a, bro- like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? 
For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know for this reason when i could bear it no longer i sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain but now that timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by, the, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, 
We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That was the sermon. Now I'll make some comments. All who belong to Jesus must read his word with his people. And in case you're thinking to yourself, I don't think it's that necessary, maybe for them back then, but not for us today, just think about it, open your eyes, reconsider. In a shifting sand world, the culture disdains objective truth, displays a depraved indifference to the things of God, accepting deviant behavioral standards and adopting ungodly worldviews contrary to the word of God, and there is no appetite for truth. God has spoken permanently and perfectly and precisely 
with clarity. There is crystal clear. The Word of God, a God-given gift in sovereign grace to, to undeserving recipients of mercy. This letter, 1 Thessalonians, displaying the startling beauty that defeats disunity, where the beloved become more beloved and there is an urgency to love in light of the imminence of Christ's return. God's sovereign love drives our sacrificial love. Where the word of God is at work in believers who welcome it into their lives. Where love overflows and fosters a deep unity. There's a healthy church and the world sees the gospel displayed. But at the very same time, multitudes say no to biblical truth. Progressives going after falsehood. Liberal theologians gathering a following. Authors and podcasters gaining a fan base. And they are twisting, as 2 Peter 3 says, twisting the scriptures to their own destruction. And unchanging truth must be brought to bear on every person, in every culture, in every time, in every place. God's believing remnant, few but mighty, love the Word of God. Believers love the Word of God. They want to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. They want to obey the Word of God, which leads to the beautiful outcomes that you see in this letter. As Paul has been wrapping up this letter, we have slowed to slower than a crawl to savor a prayer, a kiss, an oath, and a life. In the last four verses. In verse 25, we're told to pray in faith. Pray for us, brothers, for your leaders, for one another. In verse 26, we're told to greet in love, to greet everyone with a holy kiss, to welcome and receive one another in a manner worthy of the Lord and with robust affection as Christ loved. Not the Judas kiss. Don't harbor any ill will towards anyone. But now part three, verse 27. Read in hope. Read the word of God with the people of God in hope of the glory of God. Verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. That is a very strong, strong expectation. God expects you to read his word with his people. But why is that so crucial? There is one reason why it is so crucial. Because God expects it. That's the reason why this is so crucial. God expects it. It doesn't matter if you think it's important or not. God expects it. It doesn't matter if you can't get to church on time to hear the, the, the word of God read. God expects it. It doesn't really matter what you think about it. God expects it. Paul is concerned here. He is almost hinting that the letter might not be read. You're under oath before God Almighty to make sure that this letter is read to all believers. 
This is one of the first New Testament letters. It, it teed up the expectation for, for everything that comes next. Paul knew the far-reaching implications and importance of the teaching and its binding authority as part of the body of Scripture, as part of the canon of Scripture. He said to the Corinthians, the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Here where he says, I, I charge you before the Lord, you have a double accusative. You before the Lord, following I charge, names the people bound by the oath, you. And the one to whom accountability is due, the Lord. God expects it. So Paul invokes an oath in the first person singular. There is an urgency to what he is saying. He means what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is having him write this. There's divine punishment for a failure to, to comply. The judgment is in God's hands. And this is not an imperative. This is an indicative. This is the way it is, and you must do it. This is how it is. So this is how you must live. This is how you must operate. Under oath before Yahweh. You're to do this consciously. You're to do this seriously. And you're, you're under oath, and, and God put you under the oath. An oath in the Bible was a solemn declaration that has an affirmation with, with an appeal to God. Now, God prohibited false oaths, useless swearing in ordinary life, but when necessity required it, he would allow men to swear by his name. Exodus 22, if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast, to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he put his hand to his neighbor's property, whether he did anything to harm the animal. To swear by a false god was idolatry. Oaths were forbidden in Matthew 5 and in James 5, and, but it was referring to unthinking hasty, even vicious practices among people. Among Hebrews, an oath was administered by a judge who would stand up and require or adjure a party who was to be sworn. This happened to Jesus, and he complied. Jesus was adjured or required by Caiaphas, Matthew 26, 63. Jesus had remained silent under long examination, and the high priest rises up and he says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us whether you are the Christ. And to this oath, Jesus replied that he indeed was the Messiah. An oath is a solemn appeal to God as the all-seeing witness that what we say is true or the avenger if what we say is false. God is pleased when we do what pleases him. And it pleases him when his people hear his word together. Like parents are pleased when their children are friends. Angela and I are pleased that all five of our kids are friends together. It makes us happy as parents. God is pleased when we dwell together in unity and hear his word together. Together is a special word. 
that we would be conscious of the responsibility that we accept. It's like when you sign a contract or, or an agreement. We are bound to show the utmost, highest re- respect and reverence and honor for God and what he tells us to do. And he says, you read the word with fellow believers. Read it out loud. We're to take the greatest care not to make rash promises or be negligent before God. But here, God makes the promise for us. You're under oath before God. You must do this, church. There's a reason. It's important. Don't neglect it. In Joshua 1, verse 8, we read that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have success, literally, then you'll be wise, then you'll be acting godly. In Deuteronomy 28, you see in verse 13, a blessing if you obey the commandment of the Lord, being careful to do them, but also if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, careful to do all his commandments, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, the word of God, belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Deuteronomy 30, 15, he says, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the Lord, he will bless you. We need to do what God has said in the word. And he has told us right here, very clearly, it's the only place you see in 1 Thessalonians where there's an oath. You need to read this word. Everyone needs to hear this letter. They all need to hear it, all of them. Men and women, boys and girls, anyone who can understand it need to hear it. I find myself often telling people or saying to people in communication, they'll say, you know, I told someone this, but they forgot. I'm like, did you get it in writing? Did you send them a text? Did you send them an email? Did you write it down? Well, no. I'm like, really? The hundreds of things we all have to remember every day, and you're going to give me that in some verbal form, and I'm supposed to memorize it? And I heard it once. Did you get it in writing? We have God's word in writing. I'm the best source, from the most reliable source. This human author, Paul, is so bold because he knows the message is divinely inspired. 2 Peter 1 tells us no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is our authority. God expects us to do this. God cares that we do this. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I say. God expects it. People, by the way, not only neglect the word of God, they deny it. They will say it doesn't say what it clearly says. In 2 Kings chapter 22, and and by the way, there are many times in the history of the people of God where the word of God fell by the wayside and they paid the consequences. In 2 Kings 22, you see Josiah, he becomes king at age 8. He's the 16th king of Judah, who on hearing that the word of God had been lost, and then they found it, and then they read it to him, he institutes reforms, removes the false false worship. 
He's eight years old when he begins to reign. In the 18th year of his reign, so he's 26 at this point, he sends some people to the house of the Lord. And, and what he's, he's following up on some things that needed to happen. And, you know, collect the money that, that was brought into the house of the Lord, and, and it's going to help the people and help build the house of the Lord. And what happens is, Hilkiah the high priest says this to Shaphan the secretary. 1 Kings 22.8 I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And he comes to the king. And he basically says, we did everything you asked us to do. And by the way, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And he reads it before the king. When the king hears the words of the book of the law, he tears his clothes with grief. He's convicted by it. And he commands them and says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written in it concerning us. That's first time obedience. The first time he heard the word of God. I don't know if you've ever found yourself deceived or realized that you had been deceived. Maybe you had been convinced that you were right and everyone else is wrong. And then other info is presented to you and you must humbly admit that you were wrong or that you were deceived. I hope that's happened to you in your life. I hope that you're not always right. People that are always right are the hardest people to be around. But when you've been convinced you're right and then info is presented and you must humbly admit that you were wrong, you are conscience bound to obey. And when we say that the word of God binds our conscience, it's authoritative, therefore you have to do it. Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley wrote a book on the conscience. And they said this, if God, the Lord of your conscience, shows you through his word that your conscience is registering a mistaken moral judgment, he wants you to adjust your conscience to match his will. Your conscience must bend to God. I heard Abner Chow say this week, scripture is more sure than your experience, than your explanations, and more sure than everything. Some of you need to stop questioning the word of God and yield to it and accept it and do what it says. Surrender. Acts 5.29 says we must obey God rather than men. Stop obeying your own mind and obey God in his word. There is a strong consequence for not reading the word of God together with the people of God. Proverbs 13.13 13 says whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. It's very easy to see why that is true. If you despise the word and you say you don't need it, you don't know what it says, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, and you're going to just rush headlong, in, headlong into error. Prone to be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Have this letter read. Have this letter read. To have it read was not, okay, one time, and then you put it on a shelf. Have this letter read means a regular reading as a standard practice. 
And, and there's no misunderstanding here. Read this letter in public. It's meant to be read out loud to all ages. And in that moment, they were going to give it a place beside the Old Testament and recognize it as inspired authority. Now we have the Old and New Testament, we have the Bible, and we are to read it together. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. We must obey God rather than man. The public reading of Scripture is an undervalued Christian practice, but it is the foundation of our accountability as the body of Christ. Most Christians today think it's optional. Like, can we get through that so I can hear what the preacher's going to say? We need to recapture the priority of Scripture for worship. Focus of every worship service ought to be on Christ and the Word of God, the centrality of the Word of God. Justin Martyr was describing second century worship, and he said this, On Sunday, all who live in the city or the country gather together in one place, and memoirs of the apostles or writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. And when the reader has ceased, he verbally instructs and exhorts to imitation of these good things. That's what I did this morning. I read five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. I read it, and now I'm verbally instructing toward those good things. The chief end of all worship of God is accomplished through his word of God. But through his word, nothing compares to it. Nothing. Nothing can replace it. Not singing, not drama and skits, not flashy lights, not decorations. Puritan John Owen said, Our belief of the scriptures to be the word of God, divine revelation, our understanding of the mind and will of God as revealed in them are the two springs of all our interest in Christ. From them all streams of light and truth derive, whereby our souls are watered and refreshed and made fruitful unto God. Scripture is the only sufficient guide for your life and for our practice. Sadly, though, many Christian worship services contain little to no public reading of Scripture. The very thing God expects when his people gather. To worship God, we must hear God speak through his word. The Jewish practice was to read scripture in the synagogue. Jesus followed that pattern. He, he read from the scroll of Isaiah. Paul closed his letter to the Colossians. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Public reading of scripture with the gathered church in public worship is what was encouraged to the seven churches of Revelation. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The imminence of Christ's return. God meant his word to be read aloud. Read it in private all you want. You need to take it in alone, in, in, in your study, in your own time. You need to read it with your household. But the word of God is meant to be read aloud. Illiteracy was common in the early church, but that's not the only issue. That's not the only reason. You need to hear the word of God read aloud. Before the Reformation, people could not hear the word in their own language. The Roman Catholic Church controlled the text. They read it in Latin. They hid it from the people. Man's opinions were put above Scripture. We need to stop putting our opinions above Scripture. 
The Reformation unleashed the, unleashed the word of God to the people. The Puritans understood the necessity of the word of God in your own language. They saw their friends and their family imprisoned and even burned at the stake for having a copy of the word of God in their language. Thomas Watson said, The Bible shows the credenda, what we are to believe, and the agenda, what we are to practice. Reading the Bible aloud in public worship is essential for making God's will known on a regular basis. And we are all accountable together as we hear it. God saves through the word. God sanctifies through the word. It's more important than your story. It's more important than your opinion. It's more important than sharing your heart. Just clearly read God's bare word. The reading of scripture in a worship service must never be just the intro to what the preacher will say. There are prominent leaders saying, unhitch yourselves from the Old Testament. No, we're going to unflinchingly remind ourselves that all of scripture is profitable. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Theopneustos, literally breathed from the mouth of God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. If you would hear God speak, you need to hear his word. And what does it do? It puts us on notice together, keeps us on our toes, helps us help others. We want to drench our services in the word of God and prayer. The word of God is the only perfect part of the worship service. And some of you don't know this because you aren't here on time. And I gave first hour a, a pass because this is time change day our least favorite day of the year because you lose an hour. Why are we playing with the clock? I don't even know. But some of you don't know this because you aren't here on time on a regular basis. This is what we do when we gather together at Grace, and I hope you've noticed the pattern. We've done this for quite a while, but we started this at a certain moment when I said we need to drench our services more in Scripture and more in prayer. We start the service with scriptural call to worship. Scripture calls us to worship, and then we pray. And then we have a scripture reading, and then we pray. And then we have scripture preaching, and then we pray. And we close the service with scripture reading and prayer. And this is the pattern in the Bible. This is it. Called to worship by God's word from beginning to end. We do this as our priority, by design. There's a personal impact. We're accountable to it. Reminds us of our duty now. Reminds us of our future glory. And we all know life is too hard to try to do this alone. You must hear God's word together with the people of God. I've officiated a lot of weddings and funerals as a pastor, and I see who comes late to weddings and funerals, you know, and people sneaking in the side door. And they miss the vows or they miss the eulogy. And they miss out. Don't miss any public reading of Scripture. You should run to be on time. You can get on, be on time to a lot of things in your life. You should be on time to these services that we hold. We know the time. It's the same every week. We're not moving it around going, okay, we're not going to tell you what time we're meeting or where we're meeting. We meet at the same time in the same place every week. Quite a long time ago, I made a 
commitment that I was going to be in all three services the whole time to lead the way in that. And I've done that for years. And it hasn't stuck with some people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some people have no appetite for the truth. I hope you haven't lost your appetite for the word of God read out loud among the people of God. God expects it to be read publicly to the whole body. You'll notice it says, to all the brothers. We've seen this word over and over again in 1 Thessalonians. Adelphoi, brothers and sisters, brethren, all believers, all, every, each one, together. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, all the people gathered into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. Men, women, boys, girls. And he read from it from early morning until midday. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. When he opened the book in the sight of the people, the people stood up. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Their hands went up, their heads went down. And then expositors went out among the people. They're all named here. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. Expositors read and explained and applied the word of God for the people. And the people had to be reminded, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were crying because they read God's judgment upon them for not obeying the word. And they said to them, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so they went to their houses rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. We should go our way as we leave a service of worship with the people of God, and we should rejoice because we have understood what the word of God says, and we are going out in his strength and for his glory to do what he says. The word of God is powerful, it's sharp, it divides, it, it discerns motives, as Hebrews 4.12 tells us. You receive it. You receive it personally. You receive it hearing it publicly. You, you're accountable together, and it helps you know how to follow Jesus, to repent of your sins, to remember Jesus, to, to know that the word of God does the work as we welcome it. I mean, put yourself in the Thessalonians' shoes. They would have been convicted and comforted and challenged as they heard the word of God read out loud together maybe you lost a loved one and the weight is lifted from your shoulders as you hear that they will not miss out on the lord's return that they are with the lord now maybe you're a busybody meddling in others affairs and after hearing you're convicted to stop bothering people and start helping people maybe you were involved in sexual sin but now you realize god wants you to be morally pure so you flee from sin Dozens of ways this letter would speak to a person in the church, then and now. The word of God is consistently portrayed in scripture as strong and unwavering and unbending and undoubted, fixed. It's a bridge strong enough for its traffic. It's stronger than all. It's an anchor to secure your soul. It's a sword to protect you. 
Masters University, for their tagline is, for Christ and Scripture. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the Word. You can't have one without the other. The Word is, as Psalm 19 puts it, pure, sure, right, clean, true, perfect. And by the Word, we are warned. When I went to Niagara Falls, I saw these signs, and it said, don't get too close to the edge. You'll die. Is it weird? Some people still go close to the edge at Niagara Falls. We're our own worst enemy many times. And what do we do? We magnify ourselves. We magnify our problems. Larger than life, we obscure the word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 138, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God has exalted above all things his name, who he is and what he does, and his word, what he has said. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Mary said in Luke 1, my soul magnifies the Lord because she increasingly saw him as he truly is. As you gaze upon the beauty of Christ and the word of God, you increasingly see God as he truly is. And you exalt Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And scripture is sufficient for these things. C.S. Lewis spoke of keeping the clean breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds. It happens as the word of God gets into your heart like an anti-serum for poisonous lies of the world and the flesh and the devil. Scripture is sufficient. God uses it to save and to sanctify and to judge. The Bible changes the tone. You interject the word into the conversation and it changes the atmosphere. It does what needs to be done. It uplifts, it comforts, it challenges, it convicts, it sobers. The public reading of the word gives us as a church our marching orders. You don't need an opinion today. You need the word of God. God will not use you without hearing and obeying the word of God. How will you know if you're doing what is right? And you might even ask the question, who will know if I don't do this? Who will know if I skip this part? Who's going to tell? God will know. And I hope that is enough reason for you. Who will know if you consistently do not hear the word of God with the people of God? God will know. And the church will know. And your neighbors will know. And your household will know because they'll be able to smell you. The word cleanses us. And if you're not reading it alone and with the gathered body of Christ, it will show. You must hear and obey God's word with God's people. It must be read to all. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. It's one of the heaviest expectations that have ever been put on the people of God, and we are still under it. And it's not a heavy burden. It is joyful. We are bound by it. It wakes us up to what we need to do all week in our home, in our heart, in our household, and with others. Every Christian assembly in the habit of regularly reading the scriptures publicly, out loud. God expects it. It puts us on notice. It points us to Christ. It bolsters our hope in his imminent return. God expects you to read his word with his people and what he expects, he enables. Romans 15. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify God. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with your people. Thank you, Lord, that you change us by the word. Thank you, Lord, that you are sanctifying your people. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.